0: This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by Instat Hockey, the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, and by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit.
1: Kelly Kaplan, name your three all-time favorite athletes.
2: Chris, I got to start hockey, um, and it's his birthday today, so I feel very happy to share it, Yamir Yager. I just loved growing up, was so obsessed with him, just thought he was the coolest, and he still is the coolest because he's playing hockey at 50. Um, You know, my first letter to the editor, the first time I was published was, Why is the Olympics on so late? Because I want to watch Tara Lipinski skate. So I was tempted to pick her, but um, Mia Hamm was actually more of my inspiration. Um, I was a total soccer girl of the 90s and early 2000s, and that 99 World Cup team inspired me. And then uh, my dad worked for the Yogi Berra Museum and Learning Center for 20 years, and I never got to see him play. But everything Yogi Berra stood for. Um, Everything I hear about him, the stories, because there's so many, um, he's just an icon to me.
1: Those are three beautiful choices. Happy birthday, Yarmir Yager. Welcome to Hockey Press Pass, presented by Instat Hockey, the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, and by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Our guest is Emily Kaplan, one of the lead reporters on ESPN's coverage of the NHL, a co-host with Linda Cohen of the very popular and entertaining podcast in The Crease, a regular contributor on the point, panelist on around the horn and many many other things. Prior to ESPN, Emily worked at Sports Illustrated, the Boston Globe, Associated Press and Philadelphia Inquirer. Thanks so much for doing this. My first question is like how has has life changed overwhelmingly since the since ESPN got the NHL back for you?
2: Yes, um, it has. You know, I've covered the NHL now for four years for ESPN, and I'm so grateful um, for those first four years. Um, you know, we were writing for ESPN.com. We were writing what I thought were some pretty cool and interesting stories, but all of a sudden, everyone at the company is like, "Talk about hockey here. Go do this. Go do that." And i just say yes to everything because i'm just so pumped about all these opportunities so to be part of game coverage is just something beyond my wildest dreams i'd hope to be a part of i just didn't know if i would um studio show has just been so fulfilling so cool if anyone hasn't seen the point i could probably go on and on about it um and yeah so my life has changed in that sense and then just the visibility that i'm getting of you know being part of these franchises Um, It definitely makes reporting a little bit easier when you call a GM and they're like, yeah, I saw you between the benches of our last game. Like, I know who you are.
1: Can you talk about the, oh, no, I did one of those talk about questions. Let me strike that. (laughs) What is, what is.
2: I don't think talk about questions are that
1: bad always. I'm with you, but I I have to be better than that. Come on. It's one on one. and, And I podcast about hockey media. I'd love to hear about what the teamwork has been like for you, whether it be producers, people behind the scenes, people we don't see, but also the people we might see: Arda, John Butchegros, Kevin Weeks, uh, AJ Malesko, everybody else. Like, what has that been like for you coming into this moment where the NHL is back on ESPN and you're in an important seat?
2: Yeah. I mean teamwork just in general is such a important thing in hockey. And for me, it's just crazy to have a team. Like for so long it was just me and Greg Roshinsky. We were it. And now, you know, we have so many colleagues. It's awesome. Um, you know, I started talking about the point. John Buccigrass has impressed me so much now that I gotta work closely with him. He's just So knowledgeable, makes people feel so comfortable. So much of what he does is off the cuff and in his head. head, And that makes everyone around him better. And He elevates anyone he's on set with. So I've just been blown away by Bucci. Um, And then we're just constantly talking, you know, especially the game covered because that's so new to me. Um, Some of the people who had previous experience, whether it was in Canada or with NBC, have shared tips of what's worked. You know, I bring my different flavor to it, um, things that I should be looking for. Kevin Weeks has become one of my favorite colleagues. He's just, Weeks, he's just so plugged into everything. And he just is such a great person to bounce ideas off of, gossip with, um, get life advice from. He's sometimes like my guru in that sense. So it's just been great to be able to collaborate with all these people. And then there's just so many women as well. You know, AJ Malesko, um, as one of our lead analysts, it's just awesome to see because she's just so good at what she does and it has nothing to do with her gender it's just because she's a hockey person and the fact that we've been able to field all female broadcast teams um, is something probably beyond my wildest dreams, and I know beyond a lot of women's wildest
1: dreams. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned him. AJ is absolutely fantastic. Kevin Weeks, you talk about like inspiration. he he texted me last night from the NHL Network studio, and it was just like, get involved, bots, get involved. Like, and he and by the way, it wasn't on a particular issue. It was just like you know, join us, get it, you know, like I was like, okay, well I'm I'm trying here, buddy, like. And then I was like, what else what else can I do? And Butcher Gross, I, I think a lot of times with like studio hosts when they're in that role for a long time, as John has, um, people just think of it as like kind of like somewhat of a stiff robotic thing i will say when i was at the nwhl hey john can you uh do a 60 second thing on your phone announcing the first overall draft pick bam you know i mean like he just he does it he cares so i'm i'm really glad that's the kind of the teamwork you're seeing from everyone huh
2: Yeah, and like, the other thing with Bucci is in his game calls, like, he's so passionate about the sport that it just comes through in everything that he does, and I think that's infectious. Um, And I can't believe I didn't mention, probably one of my favorite new teammates, if not my favorite new teammate, is John Tortorella. I love that man. He's been a breakout media star, whether he wants to admit it or not. Um, He's just so good because he's so authentic. He always surprises you. Um, But what he says, that comes out of his mouth, you know that's exactly how he feels. He can't hide his emotions, and behind the scenes he's just been so encouraging like you know i'll come out with a feature or i'll go on the point and i'll get a text from him that just says like good job emily or you did well today uh the one day i was feeling under the weather the only person that told me he texted me you're sick today was john tortorella because he notices and it's just that attention to detail of humans um is why i think The public persona of him as his hard-nosed coach and the private persona of what you hear from the guys that played for him and love him are very
1: different. And that says a lot about Tortorella because he is somebody who is very quick to admit, I know he has to Art, I know he said it on the air, that if he has an opportunity to coach again, he will. And we've seen it in other sports, we've seen it in hockey where somebody kind of, you know, I don't want to pick on a Babcock, but I'll name him, kind of rolls through an NHL network, gets a couple of spots, does okay but it sounds like John Totarell is kind of going that extra mile in terms of being a collaborator.
2: He is. And what I, I appreciate about him is that he's buying into what we want to do at ESPN around storytelling. Like he loves being on the point because he loves the features that we do that introduce you to the players behind the scenes and what they're like. And he sees the importance of that in growing the game. And that's why I love him because he gets it on that big picture level where so many guys in the game, as you know, just, don't want to open up about themselves don't think there's a place to open up and just want to focus on not using the pronoun i and talk about getting pucks deep
1: you, you notice that guess he i i think I, I'm a, I don't know well but i i get the sense that he's even come to really appreciate what goes on at an espn i've seen him after some of your features and others have run where he's been moved or he has said that was really good. Almost like a little bit surprised. Like, yeah. well, yeah, you know, we do some good work here, but I, I think he's starting to uh, really appreciate it. So I hope he coaches again in the league because it's a more fun league when he coaches, but I also hope he gives you a full season or two, right?
2: Totally. And to be clear, he has made it clear with all of us. Once he's coaching again, we're dead to him. Like, <laughs> no. We're not getting any scoops. He's not, you know, we're not going to go cozy up with him next to the bench. Maybe I get a high Emily at the rink and that's it.
1: <laughs> Could you possibly describe what a typical work week mid-season regular season is like for you in terms of your schedule and, and how that sets up
2: no <laughs> <laughs> i'll try uh, you know and it's it's been tough and challenging a bit because we switched the days that games are on you know it was tuesdays and thursdays at the beginning of the year i think and now we're kind of on this friday we're about to have saturdays on abc which is super exciting um but i'll try for you mm-hmm. Mondays, um, I signed on this year as if I needed more work to do a podcast for the football club Chelsea so I record that um, usually kind of to start setting things up for the week start making calls thinking about features um, twice a week I record my podcast with Linda Cohn. we're thinking about going to once a week just to make it a bit more manageable. Um, I try to do around the horn once a week. That's something that's really important to me. So I try to schedule that. Um, One day is usually a travel day to get to games um, where there's practices and then, you know, um, talking with the coaches before the game and then to prepare for a game, I need to make I usually make between 5 and 10 phone calls before every game, just making sure that I have stories on each team um, for the players in case I don't notice something in the game, some reporting to add. And I'm also making phone calls for the point um, to make sure that I can break some news or add some context there. So those we film on Thursday afternoons. Have a game. I'm sure I missed other things. I try to write for ESPN.com as much as I can. And again, break news. And I want to sink my teeth into more long term, uh, long form storytelling narratively on the written side, which is my bread and butter. I just had a hard time finding the bandwidth for it this year.
1: So that's the part that I don't understand. And you do write plenty. But, and the first person that comes to my mind, it's another sport, but a former colleague of yours is Tom Verducci. I would see him like all over the TV. On this network, that were and then I'd get the magazine back in the day, and there'd be some three thousand word story, and I'd say to myself, "How the heck did he have time to do this? Or and is there like a factory behind? You know, and I understand there's editors and researchers and reporters, but you do, like you I've worked with you on some stuff too, right? Like, how do you find the time to write and to write? Uh, you write very, very well. My point is, I don't know if I could do all these things and put a darn paragraph together. So how, so how is this possible? Do you have to, at some point, just like carve out time?
2: That's exactly what I was going to say. You force yourself to do it and you carve out time. And a lot of times, honestly, it's on an airplane um, because, you know, you can't make phone calls on an airplane. You can get Wi-Fi and send texts and emails, but that's usually an uninterrupted uh, one to three or four hours where you can just sit down and do it. Um, or at night or in mornings or things like that. but um, you definitely have to force yourself to do it because sometimes I just don't know where the days go. They just go by.
1: Wow. What's it like?, uh, my question about being between the benches is, are, you know, I was a PR person when we had that, although it wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is now. But are there some basic ground rules or an understanding? or is it that whatever you see and hear, it can be considered on the record.
2: I believe anything that happens down there can be on the record. Um, And that is my philosophy. Um, There's certain things that I don't report um, for different reasons. Um, You know, it's one of those things where like, when you're a beat writer, I felt like the one thing, Peter King was one of my first mentors. And he always told me like, if you write something, you have to show up in the locker room the next day and be able to stand behind what you write. So if I report something on air, I need to make sure that I feel so confident that that's exactly how it went down and I got the full context of it that if I saw that player the next day and let's face it I'll run into them at some point this year they'll know how to contact me I can stand behind it so that's probably the only reason that I would hold something back if I'm like I didn't quite get the context of that or they're throwing out a lot of words that I'm like maybe we don't need to share all of these bad words on air Um, you know it's the heat of the moment but I do think that I share a little bit more than most reporters down there. And, you know, one of the reasons they told me they liked me there was that they've never had someone like me and um, I've never been there. So everything's new to me. Um, and what I'm absorbing and what I think is interesting or different, the viewer probably would too, unlike a lot of people who are just kind of accustomed to that, have been around the game, have been in that position before, and hold a lot back. So um, that's why you see me reporting on a lot of the chirping because. I personally find that hilarious, and as a viewer, I want to know what these guys are saying to each other.
1: Have you heard, and it would be up to you if you want to share specifics, of course, we would love it. Have you heard from any players or any teams that just said, oh, I wish you hadn't shared that because of, you know, whatever reason. No no resistance yet? Okay, good. Do all the teams, um, I don't even know if it's like in some sort of like bylaws somewhere, but do all the teams have to agree to have uh, reporters or somebody between the benches?
2: they don't have to agree to it however like i have an example this week where we have the game in minnesota and i was really excited to be between the benches and because it's a makeup game uh, the Wild sold those seats uh so i get to go it by the zamboni instead well
1: i mean they should offer the the people who bought those tickets the opportunity to squeeze in there with you they might go That's for what it I'm
2: saying they'd have a much better experience you know one game i had and i hate to pick on these fans but it was st louis and like that one was weird because it was usually it's just the bench, me, the other bench, um, and this was the visitors' bench, I believe, or the home bench, me, a set of fans. And then the other bench. So I couldn't really see what was going on at that bench. And I was so frustrated by those fans because they paid so much money for those premium tickets. And all they did the entire game was take selfies of themselves. Um, so I'd like to think that I could provide a little bit of a different experience, maybe a more curated experience. So, Minnesota, if you're listening.
1: You might, I say, I might want to talk to Aaron Sickman, Billy Guerin. Jamie Spencer, like at least offer those fans that opportunity. It, it just might make for a really unique, even if it's just for a period, it might make yeah. for a unique thing, right? Where you're having popcorn with them. You're getting in their way. My guess is they, my guess is the fans would be all for it. I'd be surprised. Um, who are, can you think of, you know, I'm sure you have, I'd have several, but can you think of two or three of the, the people who have had the most influence on your career and your work, your writing, your reporting style?
2: So tough. So Peter King gave me my first opportunity out of college at Sports Illustrated when I mean, his microsite, the MMQB. Um, and there's just Peter, I'm so grateful for because his whole thing was I've accomplished so much in my career. I have this opportunity where I can create a website. I'm going to hire young writers that then I can have shadow me, see how I do the job, how I get the access, how I build these relationships, how I write 10,000 million words every Sunday night. Um, and to him I'm just just forever grateful and so many little lessons I learned along the way um, Chris Brow was someone at ESPN I wouldn't be covering hockey if not for him because he contacted me initially for an NFL job because I was covering the NFL um, and in my job interview I must have mentioned that I liked hockey a few times because he called me a few weeks later and said we don't have any NFL jobs we think you'd take but our biggest need right now is a national hockey reporter and I'm just thinking outside the box I think you'd be great at it um, I never would have be where I am today if not for him and he was just so creative had some of the best story ideas Uh, one of my favorite stories I've ever done is hockey players have big butts and can't find jeans that fit that was a collaboration with Sprout of how we came up with that Um, and then now you know Andy Tennant is someone he runs our studio programming he also oversees franchises for us like Outside the Lions he's 60 um, you know, our big storytelling, and um, he's given me so many opportunities to spread my wings in that sense and and flex in that way. So, I'm grateful for those opportunities. And then everyone else, just on our game broadcast coverage, you know, Mike McQuaid and Mark Gross, who gave me the opportunity to be part of the game broadcasts. Um, again, typically you don't see someone like me as a part of them, or you know, it's it's harder for someone like me to get into that world. And so, just the fact that they thought to include me and have. You know, giving me room to grow, I'm really
1: grateful for as well. How it really fascinates me—the idea of you entering this kind of new sport at at a big level, right? Like not not hey, can you cover um, the Devils? Right, it, it's can you cover this league for this major property? I had one, you know, a small experience where at Sports Business Journal they said, can you cover hockey business and soccer business? I was like, the I got my my phone is great on the one sport and the other sport. I got nobody. I got twin sons who play soccer. We watch Premier League once in a while, but but it it wound up being a very exciting thing, right? Because now I'm just like I'm literally just like, hey, here I am, help me. Help me, help you, all that stuff. So, had I remember seeing you in Nashville, uh, like you know, probably pretty early. In, you were covering a Predators uh, Blues game, and the NWHL had their All Star game there. Yes. I think that was you know maybe in the first second year of your time. How can you explain how you went about trying to tackle this entire beat? <laughs>
2: um, you know, in some ways, I, I think you explained it really well because it, it's daunting, but it's also Nice to be new because you have the excuse to call everybody and say, Hey, I'm new. Here's who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I want to do. And and sometimes you don't get to make those calls if you've been in it. Um, I started in July, which in hindsight was the worst possible time to start because that is cottage season in the NHL. So I think I reached out to like all PR directors, a bunch of coaches, GMs, agents, and like, a lot of people didn't get back to me for a while because that's when they usually say f off and uh go to their cottages on the lakes um but i was also again grateful that espn sent me on like a bunch of these missions they like, go to traverse city this prospect tournament and just go meet people there and network um go to la and you know paperson is the super agent in caa um, go get a meeting with him and introduce yourself. Um, so I got to do things like that my first year, which again, I understand not all outlets, you know, have the resources to do or ability to do. And that's why it's always a benefit to work at ESPN. And then just saying I'm from ESPN, um, you know, typically opened a lot of doors and people want to talk, but the first year I was just constantly making calls, introducing myself to people, you know, what's a good story, What are the stories that haven't been told? And I also think because I came from the NFL, I had these different eyes and ears where I was comparing things of like, hey, that's different to me, or why do they do things this way? Where, you know, hockey can be a very insular community where everyone comes up exactly the same way, and they don't always ask those questions because it's just normalized for them.
0: More Hockey Press Pass with Chris Botta and Emily Kaplan next.
1: We want to welcome HelloFresh uh, to the sponsorship of our podcast, HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash PressPass16 and use code PRESSPASS16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. With HelloFresh, you get Farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable that's why it's america's number one meal kit hello fresh has fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying and nutritious meals that you could feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from including low calorie and carb conscious options my family and i we got the fit and wholesome meals uh, the other day and they have been fantastic they save us a lot of time One of the great things about HelloFresh is you can easily customize your order online or in the app. That's what we did. You can change your delivery day, your food preferences. You can even skip a week whenever you need to. It cuts back on time spent in the kitchen with meals ready in around 30 minutes or less. And it's 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. So listeners, please uh, give your thanks back to HelloFresh. Uh, do this for me. If you would consider, if you enjoy the podcast, go to hellofresh.com presspass16 and use code presspass16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's hellofresh.com presspass16 and use code presspass16. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit.
0: Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play. Food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up tabletop board games to your family. Their staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, we have it all. Get off your screens and unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join? Our Magic, The Gathering, Dungeons & Dragons, or Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game.
1: What is, now that you've been at this for a while and at such a high level, well, You know what is it about the NHL and your ability to cover it that you wish was better i did see some comments that you made and everybody agrees with you about how the players It just has gone on forever right three goals well you know mitchy made the great play where it hit off his ankle and came to me and then i skated through five guys and scored right um but it, you know what is it that you wish were better yeah
2: and that was the biggest difference from coming from the nfl because i could stick a microphone in someone's face and they'd be like Tell, you, tell me why you're amazing. They'd be like, well, here's all the reasons I'm amazing. Um, and obviously that doesn't happen in hockey. You know, I... I... Again, yeah, just wish they would open up their lives a little bit more because I really see the value in storytelling um, and us relating to athletes as human beings as reason we want to root for them. And I think the best proof of concept there is look at Formula One and what F1 was able to create with the storytelling they did in that documentary series. And I do think the younger generation of players is a little more open to it. In fact, they're a lot more open to it. Um, There's still these cultural norms where you should say no or you shouldn't make it about yourself. Um, And I totally understand that. I just think there's value if, you know, all we talk about in the sport is grow the game, grow the game. Well, like, this is the way, in my opinion, is the easiest way to grow the game is is build these guys up and and make fans care about them.
1: Are you able to use examples of pieces that you've done, like the Hughes piece, to, you know, not that you need to sell yourself, but as an example, uh, sell yourself as a a journalist and to get somebody to open up more and some of the other pieces that have been done on the point and elsewhere on the other platforms of ESPN to, you know, send these to teams and say, look, you know, with some cooperation, with some opening up a little extra time, this, this is the kind of thing that could be done. So do you yeah. try to, you almost have to be your own PR person, if I dare say.
2: Oh, trust me. Those are some of the emails I was sending this morning, Chris. Okay. Um, you know, sending out the link to that Hughes piece and, and basically saying like, look, No one's ever seen him in this light. And, you know, you thought you knew who Jack Hughes was and maybe you've seen clips here. But, like, I felt like we brought out the authentic Jack Hughes that fans are now like, wow, I didn't know about this kid, but I want to root for him. Or he's funny. He's relatable. He's just a 20-year-old with a cracked phone screen. Um, But it's funny because that piece came out and it was widely well-received and I think people loved it. Um, And I kept trying to get an answer from Jack of what he thought of it, and I couldn't. And then i saw him in vegas and i said jack like what did you think of the piece and he goes i didn't watch it for a month what he goes guys go with their entire careers without doing a piece like that and putting themselves out there and i just i just didn't know like i felt i still felt kind of weird about it um i just think that's so telling of where we're at at this weird intersection where guys are are kind of willing to do it and kind of comfortable but there's still these cultural norms
1: that they have to adhere to yeah where do things in the next couple of weeks i don't know do you are you are you it's good business are you in the trade deadline game right like 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 are you are you working hard or is it a mission to be first on tyler to or at least the first right one or you know that, that kind of thing
2: you know, that's probably my biggest challenge right now, um, you know, because I think what's great about what I've been able to do is do a little bit of everything. I think it's hard to do a little bit of everything and be great at everything. Um, and news breaking is something ESPN didn't hire a newsbreaker when We had the rights. And they basically said, you know, we think we're OK with what we have. And that put a lot of pressure on me and Greg to break more news um, and I can do it. And, you know. I I try and I'm I'm making phone calls. And again, I'm trying to deliver information that I can on the point and information that I feel good about. At the same time, being a full-time newsbreaker um, in in transactional business is a full-time job. And I just, I don't know if I have the bandwidth to totally take that on. So I like to pick and choose my spots when it comes to the trade deadline. I've got a couple guys, a couple teams that I've targeted saying like, okay, I feel pretty good there. Like, I'd like to break this one and I'll try to stay on it. Um, but I also just know that I just can't kill myself in every single one because it's just unattainable. That's
1: a great point because, listen, he's a talented, very uh, great journalist, but I don't think Woj, who went to St. Bonaventure and everybody, I didn't go to St. Bonaventure, but my brother did, and everybody who did loves to tell you they're from Bonaventure, so we celebrate Woj. But he's not doing pieces like you do on The Point. He's not writing, I don't think, Uh, too many long form pieces like he's he's there to do that and probably maybe nobody's ever done it better anywhere in any sport but to be expected to do both is is is, that's that's to do to do it all not both to do it all is a lot
2: it is a lot um you know and the I have to say, Woj and the other guy, and this is someone who I'm kind of trying to model my career after a bit at ESPN, and it's Jeff Passant, because <laughs> he does find time um, to break news, to write those rich stories, um, to be part of the game broadcasts and all everything, um, and both of them have been tremendous mentors to me, um, and have really taken me under their wing. Woj just constantly, I'll send out a tweet, like if I have news, and he'll just call me or text me right after, It's like, you shouldn't have phrased it like that, make it stronger. ESPN sources, or ESPN, I'm like, oh, I just feel so... I'm just not in that space yet where I feel like I can own my stories. And he's just taught me that so much of it is just selling yourself and selling your information. Then you have to explain to our news editors, why it's important, why it demands coverage, but also to fans of like, this is why you should care.
1: Nice. You know, in the NHL and this doesn't do you uh, any help, but I think that, you know, who should break the trades? Like if anybody's going to work with anybody to break trades, I'll use the Islanders as an example. I think they should work with the people who fly all over freaking North America covering them, right? So as opposed to all, all these people are I think are friends, I, you know, Bob McKenzie and Pierre and Darren Traeger and you and Wish or whatever. But, like, that to me just seems like if you're going to do it, that that would be a happy outcome. Um, so, you know, do what you can on the trade deadline, but... <laughs> it's a fascinating yeah. topic to me it's a really as 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 to how certain people seem to get so much of it so i wish you, you
2: realize that information is currency and there's a reason why the national people typically get more is mm-hmm. because they're bringing that currency to someone else and then they can use it as gossip or trade or barter or things like that like kind of a greasy business no that's
1: a great point uh why chelsea by the way i'm aware uh, I've, I've heard the <laughs> podcast you know are you just a front runner emily kaplan <laughs> I, <am. laughs> I really am. You know, like you're not doing a burnley head. podcast for example
2: It's one of those things I'd always wanted to get into Premier League. I thought it was inaccessible. Um, You know, the fans are just so diehard, and it kind of feels tough to be a newbie breaking in. But it was the pandemic. We were all looking for things to do. I literally made a checklist, and I was like, young American star Christian Pulisic, that's a plus. They're like the Dallas Cowboys. They're always on national television, so they'll be easy to follow. And then Russian oligarch owner will always have money to spend the best free agent. So, like, I know we're going to be relevant for a while, so... Um, I tweeted a couple times about it. They were trying to grow their American reach. Um, it worked out that I got to host this podcast that's geared towards Americans. And what they liked was my authenticity of how I was like, honestly, I'm new at this and I'm still figuring it out a little bit, like Ted Lasso, um, but just along for the ride. Right.
1: Wow, I didn't realize you were that new to it. That's fantastic. It oh, is it's a brand new. It's a fun thing. The time of the games, you know, of the app, the the coverage. There's it's nothing great. better
2: than waking up on a Saturday morning yeah. and just having something to watch for an hour and a half it's so chill and you know exactly when it's going to be on because their games are very regimented at their times and i love
1: it oh yeah um we always ask uh people who are on the show for their uh any kind of advice to up-and-coming journalists people in high school college who want to do what you do what's the first couple of things that might come to your mind
2: Dave Anderson, the great New York Times columnist, had this mantra, be a respectful pest, and I think about that all of the time, because being a journalist um, is being a pest, but it's also all about relationships and about your approach, and you have to make sure that you're respectful. Um, Peter King always told me the hard workers get rewarded in the end, and that's something I subscribe to, too, Um, you know, something that there's so many things you can't control in life, but what you can control is your work ethic. Um, and, and, I'm just constantly thinking about that and making myself invaluable and early in your career, um, make sure that you try everything. You know, you get experience doing radio, doing TV, doing writing, um, especially writing. Even if you don't become a writer, just having a background and knowing how to write, I'm just shocked by how many people can't communicate well in that form. And it's just so applicable in anything that you do so
1: learn how to write great advice i realize i got uh sidetracked when we talked about trade deadline and woge and <laughs> process and all that that i didn't get the chance to ask you that on this uh, february 16th or so actually a full month still from the trade deadline uh, do you have a viewpoint? We've seen Tefoli go, uh, but do you have a viewpoint on how busy it will be? If, not even just that day, because a lot of times the deals get done before. But it, what these next few weeks will bring, Emily?
2: I think it's going to be busy. Um, you know, I, I think just the financials of the NHL um, are such where there's certain teams that view their time as now and are going for it, and, and have been pretty vocal about it. There's a lot of defensemen available. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of blue liners moved. Um, There's a lot of teams looking for goalies, so I think you're going to see some goalies moved. Um, You're not going to see a James Harden to the 76ers or anything of that ilk Uh, in the NHL. We always tease those. They typically, those type of deals, those big deals happen around the draft or in the summer. Um, but the biggest name I think that will be moved will be Claude Drew. Um, and I know there's a lot of smoke about the Avalanche. I know they're interested in him. Um, but I wouldn't discount some of those teams on the East, like the Florida Panthers. The Carolina Hurricanes just seem to be lurking around on a lot of big names. Like they were in on Jack Eichel. So, like, I wouldn't be shocked if they made a big splash all, all right. also.
1: Uh, I mean, the Panthers, they need offense, right? Like, you know. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. They, they need to score more goals. That's what the game needs. The Florida Panthers me. to score more goals. I know
1: they haven't won a cup, but they, you know, let's stop being so greedy. But if you can get the, if, but hey, if you're the Flyers, you you make the best move. I get that. You're not looking to. You're in a great spot. You will be for a long time. But you have such uh, journalistic bones. Have you ever considered, or would you ever consider covering other things in the world besides sports? It's
2: a great question. You know, one of my best friends in this business became. Isabel Cruchetian, who covered mm-hmm. the Washington yeah. Capitals for the Washington Post, and that's how I got to know her. Um, and just as a, like a little side note, because I, I think this story is so instructive to young females. Uh, when I first took the job, she introduced herself to me, um, and was like, "Hi, I'm Izzy. You know, we should get to know each other." And I was like, "Who is this girl? She probably wants my job." Um, her, because women are trained to be competitive with each other. Um, And as I got to know her more, I realized, no, she, A, just wanted to be supportive, and B, didn't want my job at all, had way higher aspirations where she wanted to be a foreign correspondent. Um, So there's a great quote by Taylor Swift, there's a special place in hell for women who are mean to other women, and I always subscribe to that. Um, But she's doing this insane job right now where she's literally in Ukraine as we speak, reporting from the border at an impending war. And I'm just so proud of her and she's so brave. And one day, maybe I'd like to take on a task like that. I just, I'm at the point now where I've already exceeded all of my goals and aspirations for what I want to do with this. So I don't even know if I have other benchmarks at this point. I just want to see where the ride's going to take me.
1: Would you agree that coming off this Winter Olympics, that it's time for women's hockey to take some sort of next step in a big way, whatever that might be.
2: It is, um, it totally is. And you know, you were inundated in the space for a while. I know you have a lot of relationships there and I've gotten to know a lot of the players and the key players behind the scenes. And it's just frustrating to me that we just have had this lack of progress where we don't have a, a league that's paying these women a living wage. Um, and that we do have a league but none of the top players in the U.S. and Canada want to play in it and it's just like how can we wrap our heads around this and what it comes down to is women's sports is an investment um, you know I think you need to invest for it to grow and, and and someone needs to come in and quite frankly fund it and get the structure to it um, and the leeway to let it grow and become and flourish like we've seen in the WNBA you know I almost wonder if we just need to be thinking of a different approach you know we, we focus on so much of what the league is and like I'm thinking about Formula One and F1 and what we're doing at ESPN through storytelling and building hockey, like maybe they need to take that approach and, you know, do all access scenes of what it's like to be in the PHF or PHWA um, and the sacrifices these women make and maybe that would open up their stories to a larger audience and make them care about them and, and that could bring their audience in, but um it's just sad to me that there's so many athletes that have gone through the prime years of their career and have really missed out on having a pro career um and it just sucks yeah
1: it does um i believe i feel f- uh, very confident i couldn't i don't know exactly what it's going to be but uh, there's gonna i just believe there's going to be a new entity in 2022 by the end of 2022 and i'm excited to see uh, that announcement and how that all shakes out with all the other entities that are involved, including the the PH uh, the P, uh, Premier Hockey Federation. So lastly, um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I, I came down and said hello to you. You, were cover, you weren't covering our game, but you were nice enough to do some stuff. Uh, the Blues. By the way, the Blues. Played, so the game was in Nashville. The Blues won in overtime, and I bring this up a lot because, like, the every time the Islanders lost a game this year, which was a lot with COVID and everything, but Craig, they want the Blues won in overtime. Berube had only been coached for a couple of weeks. He walked by me. I knew him briefly because he had a cup of coffee with the Islanders and the Flyers where I interned, and he just, like, kind of, like, went, like, he shrugged, he shrugged to me, like, because they, 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 they hired him, and then they proceeded to never lose. Uh, so it's, 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 it's hope for other teams. I digress. Emily Kaplan, I meet, I know, I didn't know, you know, we talk and uh, you live in Chicago. I learned yesterday that Dave Kaplan is your father. I, so Dave Kaplan was a sports editor with the New York Daily News. I knew Dave. I'd like to, hopefully he might remember me. It was a long time ago, But I had. But okay. Okay. I knew. I know Dave. I knew him when he went to the. I, I knew when he went to the Yogi Bear Museum. It's just, a, it's an amazing thing. I guess because your last last is right? It's not one of these things that you'd be like, oh, you must be related to, right? So, and
2: it's funny because, yeah, you're a New Yorker, so I feel like you know him in that sense. I just get so skeptical because everyone's like, you live in Chicago. Oh, like, I know your dad, Dave Kaplan. He's a radio personality <laughs> here. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not my dad.
1: <laughs> that is so funny. I didn't know your roots. I didn't, I just knew your work uh, and knew you a little bit, but I didn't know anything about your roots. So he was a terrific guy. He was always fair uh, to the Islanders when I was there which is not easy right being a city tabloid and you have these other two teams the Devils and the Islanders making runs at you and asking you know why can't Wayne Coffee do a 14 page feature on us <laughs> and in the, fact the I'm dropping another name from the past and um so I, I just did want to ask you like uh, that must have he must have been some influence on your career and he must be uh, these are my words must be exceptionally proud
2: So the story always tells that I'm a middle child, um, three girls, and I have serious middle child complex, and I always thought my dad hated me. Um, and part of it was because of his crazy hours he was a sunday sports editor of the new york daily news and he was just never home he coached my older sister in softball i didn't want to play softball i wanted to play soccer anyway inherently to get closer to him i chose the profession that he did which was sports writing um and that's how i fell in love with hockey too is that we would watch that together and bond and obviously now i'm his favorite uh, because i have married those two um into a career and we're constantly talking about the craft of journalism he misses it he got out of the game in 98 i get to run the Museum for 20 years um, but he is and i just i love him and i was just around a lot of his sports writer friends growing up so i just grew up in that environment and i know that that opened a lot of doors
1: for me oh that's fantastic please uh, tell him i said hello uh and thank you so much for doing this thank you for your work but also for shedding a little light on what goes behind the scenes and, and your process this is a uh, i've wanted to speak to you all season and this uh, really means a lot to me that you took the time to do this thank you emily
2: Thanks, Chris. You were the best. I appreciate
0: it. All right, a huge thanks again to Emily Kaplan for spending some time, and that'll do it for this episode of Hockey Press Pass. For everybody here, Ksenia, Danny, and of course Chris, I'm Pat Boyle. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next episode of Hockey Press Pass.